Welcome back to Thoughts from the 305. I'm your host, Anne La Negra, and today's episode is another special one. Today, I'm joined by an amazing team from the Alliance for LGBTQ Youth to discuss some of the current events happening in Florida and how they're impacting our young people, especially our black, brown, and queer youth. We will also highlight the launch of the Courage to be Truly Free, Coco's blueprint for self-revival, not to be confused with the other book the government of the state will be releasing on the same day. Let's get to it. Welcome, everyone. Please share your names, pronouns, and what you do for at the Alliance for LGBTQ Youth. Hi, folks. My name is Amber Menker. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the clinical manager here at the Alliance for LGBTQ Youth. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm Mary Beth Loretta. Um, I go by they, them pronouns, and I am a clinician at the Alliance for LGBTQ Hi everyone, my name is Abriana Jean-Baptiste. I go by she, they pronouns, and I am the program assistant with the Alliance. Hi folks, my name is Sabrina Diaz, and my pronouns are they, she, he, and I am the 2023 Alliance Fellow. All right, thank y'all for being here. Um, and so for those of you that don't know, the Alliance for LGBTQ Youth will be having a book launch tomorrow february 28th or rather if you're listening to it today it's february 28th um so the reasoning behind this is because if folks don't know florida has been going through a whole whole lot of ridiculousness and if you haven't had an opportunity to what's been happening here um this i'm gonna go through a bit of a rundown recently governor ron DeSantis uh has taken some ridiculously dangerous steps to the right in not only legislation but in the strategic placement of DeSantis supporters and especially in high-ranking positions throughout the state of uh, the most notable positions the broward those being the broward school board and the miami-dade county school boards which are the sixth and fourth largest school districts in the nation respectively that's a whole lot of students so that's a lot of um power being placed on uh folks that are supposed to be nonpartisan, uh which is extremely concerning in addition to the positions um the position changes there have been some highly questionable legislation that has been passed. Some are the Stop Woke Act, the acronym WOKE standing for Wrong Our Kids and Employees, which is hysterical, as well as Don't Say Gay Law. And please note that there was a case challenging the legislation, specifically Don't Say Gay, and it was recently dismissed by a Trump-appointed judge. Now, currently, according to WFLA, in regards to Stop Woke, as of December 2022, it is still in federal limbo after a University of South Florida professor and student sued the state um, in conjunction with the ACLU to keep the rule out of colleges and universities. Big shout out to my alma mater. Uh, so colleges and universities have also been asked by the state to send in data on transgender youth seeking medical support through the university. Now, the thing is, though, they are able to get through this without violating HIPAA laws because they explicitly asked to keep personal information out of the report. In addition to that, most recently, the Florida Board of Medicine and the Florida Board of Osteopathic Medicine have agreed to ban gender-affirming care. However, it is important to note that we currently do not know when this legisl legislation will take into action. So if you have a young person that is seeking um, their therapy, they're seeking some gender-affirming care, they can still 
as far as we know, participate in these activities until the act takes place. Now, y'all being amazing people that you are and doing the work that you do within the community, um, specifically like clinical team, what are some things that you've been seeing or some trends that you've been seeing uh, with the young people that you've been working with um, throughout the county? So a little bit of what we've um, been seeing, I think is a lot of concern specifically in spaces where youth may have not needed to be engaged politically. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of the LGBTQ youth, you know, kind of taking a step towards being more politically engaged and learning more about these policies that are directly impacting them, but also being impacted and concerned about where does that leave um, essentially their future around certain things, right? Or where it believes like leaves their protections or their rights within the school system, what they have access to as far as like healthcare and mental health care. Yeah, I was gonna add that um, within uh, the last couple of months I've noticed, we've noticed as a team um, an uptick in homelessness um, among our um, clients. And that's extremely important to know. Um, if y'all do not know, Miami County is probably the most expensive. I think it was Miami has been labeled the most expensive um, place to live in the United States. And some of the stats from transstudent.org uh, emphasize that LGBTQ youth experience many hardships, but perhaps one of the biggest is homelessness at 40%. Uh, 42% of homeless agencies do not address LGBTQ issues despite these elevated rates of homelessness. I, and with all of these, I would say, parental rights groups um, that try to come out and quote-unquote advocate for young people, it is also important to know that LGBTQ youth also are disproportionately represented in the foster care system, which, you know, the math don't math, right? Because if you're advocating for young people, but yet still disproportionately end up in uh, the dependency system and disproportionately are reflected in the houseless population whose rights are being advocated for. Um, and Avery, you being you know, the, the youngin of the group uh, and are still um, technically labeled a youth in the county, um, especially with services being, uh, youth-friendly services are usually typically labeled for young people up to the age of 24. How has your experience as a young person in Miami-Dade County, like what, what has that experience been like, especially more, more recently? Um, for me, um, growing up in instances where I didn't have a lot of support um, for, you know, my sexuality, my gender, understanding that and slowly finding those things throughout um, my um, years in college, it was only up until recently where I felt a bit more comfortable with um, explaining my sexuality and gender to others and it only unfortunately makes me sad to see that a lot of kids who have gone through the same experiences that I have with trying to understand themselves and trying to grow within their journey don't really have access anymore due to the bans that have been recently going on and just the lack of open education and awareness around the topic of sexuality and gender um and you know that's what that's what the alliance is here for um to help support our youth throughout our journey but i definitely feel as there's been a lot of nerves intense and intensity intensity around um the official laws that have been made recently 
And Sabrina, being our Alliance fellow that works directly with the programming uh, provided to our young people, um, we just had right, our Mental Health and Boundaries session with them. What are some, uh, as you've been working through that with them, what are some things that you've been noticing? Yeah, thank you for asking, Andrea. Um, something that we've named is that young people already have very limited um, access to infra information around gender and sexuality. That was already the case in our school system. And now even more so, young people are attempting to create networks, right, where they have the opportunity to share this kind of information with one another and um, are sharing information around uh, healthcare and uh, what doctors are specific specifically working with their needs, especially trans youth, right? And I think as adults, we are allowing our young people and like we're allowing young people to find these solutions on their own mm. um, when we should be caring for them and supporting them finding uh, pathways that are centering their health and their well-being. And I think they're being forced to find those answers on their own and looking to one another. And they have agency and they possess a well of knowledge and they're doing so magnificently, but it is an unfair um, structure that they're being forced to be, to self-guide, right? And as adults, we're supposed to be providing that guidance. Right, right. And but aren't uh, kids kids have their own agency? They know what they're talking about. Uh, are you, is that something that we're still encountering in this day and age? People think that kids don't actually know how to communicate their their wants. Is that something that y'all are still seeing? Yeah, I would say kids definitely know how to communicate their wants, their needs, their desires, and there's a like high level of adultism that exists not only like interpersonally but institutionally legally and we're seeing that manifest um in the state of florida and with all the legislation that you previously mentioned andrea yeah and it's it's interesting um because aren't that isn't the the word on the street that things are getting better that's things are, are things getting better i know that conflict usually arises when enough challenge or when the systems are being challenged enough there you're not it's not just going to be a walk in the park um so what have y'all seen um as far as so we're talking adultism we're talking about vulnerable youth that are disproportionately represented in multiple systems uh amber as a clinical manager like can you go over some of the stats as far as like mental health uh when it comes to our young people um, sure. I think when we think about it, I'm basing a lot of like what I'm speaking about off of um, the Trevor Project um, survey that takes place. So they survey about like 35,000 LGBTQ youth. Um, about 40% of those youth are like youth of color, and like 48% of those youth are trans or non binary. And so what we know or what we're seeing is large trans where a lot of youth are specifically interested um and accessing mental health care but for several reasons they don't want to engage or they don't think um they may benefit right so some of the top reasons come off of like fear of discussing their mental health concerns uh 45 percent of them um express concern about obtaining their uh caregivers permission and then there's also like a 43 percent um belief that like their fears won't even be taken seriously 
And so we see a lot of that kind of minimization happen among the youth that we're working with. And so also kind of trends um, over time. So in the 2019 survey, um, the attempt, the percentage of youth who had attempted suicide was 40%. Um, and, and now here in 2022, that's increased 5% up to 45%. Yes. Um, we also see uh, intensity and an increase uh, with anxiety following specifically um, the pandemic. But what's also interesting is there has been also data that talks about youth, specifically LGBTQ youth experiencing less peer victimization throughout the pandemic mm. um, because they were not in school having those interactions, right, with their classmates who may not be accepting or come from homes, right, where they're hearing certain rhetoric that push them um, not to kind of form their own beliefs about things. Uh, so I would say that's kind of what's happening statistically. Well, damn. Okay. Uh, and being adults, why do y'all think, because, I mean, I definitely have my beliefs on the backwardsness that happens in adulthood. People seem to forget that they were once children. Uh, what do y'all... I guess what are your thoughts and having this like on why it's so hard for parents especially to understand that number one their child may be part of the lgbtq community and or if they're trans and gender non-conforming like why is there so much pushback have if um if you y'all can chime in on that i think a lot of these ideas of children not necessarily having agency or not having the right mind, quote unquote, to make um, decisions that are that are long lasting. A lot of these comes from generational trauma and, and the things that were taught previously when they were children. Um, and I feel like a lot of the times where we want children to have autonomy, a lot of the times the parents um, need healing themselves. So how we are, how are we expecting parents to want to, you know, give children the freedom to be themselves when they didn't necessarily have these things when they were young? Not to generalize all parents, but we all need healing. We all need to work on ourselves, not only as individuals, but as being a parent, you have a whole nother being to take care of and, you know, guiding them through life is really important but also letting them know that you can also learn from them as well so i feel like the cycle of healing that goes through families is something to that has to be talked about even before going um to giving children the agency that they need the more um communication and instruction that we have with parents healing within themselves to give that freedom to their children i feel like is a big step in that communication the importance of that Nice. Thank you, Avery. Could you repeat the question? Yeah. So why do you think there's so much, there's still so much pushback from mm -hmm. parents and adults with our young people, especially our young people that are out and about, whether they be LGBTQ, whether they be gender, uh, transgender nonconforming, like why do you think there's so much, still so much pushback? Uh, I think several things come up. Um, one of the first things that come to mind is kind of like what Avery tapped on is around kind of like ownership in the parent-child dynamic, right? There's not 
really much consideration around like I am like overseeing an individual who will one day be like an adult and it's not necessarily my job as a parent to create like a second version of me mm. it's actually my job to pour into and essentially like help shape whoever this person would like to be one day right um also i think kind of like this myth around um lgbtq folks or like trans folks specifically like not existing in certain periods um mm. comes up right and so parents will often speak to the idea of, well, well, when I was younger, right, like I didn't come across any people um, like this. So it's like this newer concept, uh, which is not necessarily true, right? Trans folks have been around um, as long as history has been around, as long as humans have been around. Um, And so I think there's like a strong disconnect there. Um, And I would finally, like my third point I'll say is maybe I think about sometimes the dynamic that is pushed as a parent, like it is your job to make sure your child follows like the straight and narrow Mm. or like falls into these boxes. I wonder what type of like disconnect or shame like parents might be feeling and even attempting to like support their own children to be who they'd like to be. Um, And how fear, right, often drives a lot of what people are doing um, and moving through life. Yes, 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 yes. And just thinking about the makeup of Miami-Dade, y'all have been to trainings. Y'all have been to trainings for parents. Seeing as we're, yes, we're a very multicultural, albeit segregated community. However, we do got a whole lot of different um, folks from a lot of different places. And if you didn't know, that Caribbean is extremely homophobic. That's That's been a thing for a while. However, while we talk about parents pushing back, are there adequate supports, do you think, for our black families, for our families of color, as far as like cultural competency? So thinking of cultural competency when it comes to like having these conversations about why um it's important to support your young person do you think like what does that access look like for our folks of color i definitely think things can improve on that front um caribbean families um and their lack of understanding when it comes to gender and sexuality again comes back to generational teachings a lot of fear and trauma from um unfortunate colonial um influences um, that's important to talk about as well. Um, I think within the Caribbean families and that dynamic of children not necessarily having a say-so in conversation, um, on daily conversation, even bigger um, events within families, um, I think it's important that the conversation needs to be had, first of all, but we also need to give platforms for Caribbean families to speak on um where their views of gender and sexuality may come from. And once we have that discussion, we can start bridging um, the folks who are um, LGBTQ and how that can be something that's beautiful within the Caribbean community, not something that is ignored. Right, right. Thank you. And when thinking about mental health and access to quality mental health services, 
going back to that question about access, thinking about where our Caribbean families, um, where our Latino families fall on the, so generally fall under the socioeconomic status um, in Miami-Dade, because just a reminder to folks that a family of one, for a family of one, you essentially have to be making over, the average is $68,000 a year. That's to be an average for, um, let me see. So yeah, 68,000 roughly to be average income in Miami-Dade County for a family of one. That's, um, you know, that we, we work at a nonprofit organization. Um, but like, I don't know how many people, especially recently immigrated or, and, or non non English speakers and, or like just also thinking about all of the different systems that our families have to take part in are do y'all generally see counselors or therapy or services that are readily accessible to these families so that they can start the healing process i would say it's i would say there is for sure right a lack in the community but i also feel like there's a disconnect right and i think an important place to start is around like mental health education um, and helping folks understand what are some of kind of like the symptoms associated with um, different mental health disorders or challenges and specifically how they show up differently in folks of color and black people. Um, and in that disconnect, I think like folks often don't seek out help or assistance because they don't believe they actually need the help or the assistance. Um, I think there has been a recent push for sure, right, around folks to be more culturally um, sensitive and learn more about communities. Um, and I think it's important specifically when you're a clinician to look at all the different variant identities that your client holds. Um, and so intersectionality is not just something that shows up in the political space or education space. It's something that is moving with you as you're sitting right down there in the therapeutic session with your therapist, right? Um, and so it's not just how is my blackness um, impacting me, it's how is my blackness impacting me, how is my queerness impacting me, um, how is my, like, whether I'm able-bodied or disabled impacting me. And so when we think about these clinical spaces, we also need to know as clinicians, it's our job to honor all parts of our clients and explore with them how it's impacting them when they show up in spaces and also acknowledge the harm that has been done in that space, right? For a lot of folks and speaking to the idea of you might have encountered this in a mental health space and it has not felt supportive at all. It's felt more harmful than anything. It may have pushed you away from even wanting to like engage in this type of work. Thank you, Amber. And on that note for intersectionality, so we do one of the foundational learnings um, of our Changemakers Leadership Institute is intersectionality is a component that we offer in a space that we offer for our young people. Now, with thinking of the Stop Woke Act and also in addition to um, all that nonsense, um, there has been a significant, significant uh, revision proposed by the state um, for an AP African-American history course that was going to be offered in the schools. Now, when you're thinking about intersecting identities and the folks that have pioneered, um, like Kimberly, Kimberly Crenshaw, uh, when you're talking about Bell Hooks, when you're talking about all of these um, thinkers that have 
brought together um, these concepts that intersecting identities are impacted in different ways, um, especially based off of the different systems we're a part of. Now, all of that information may not even have an opportunity to be taught at schools. So how do y'all think, like, just even thinking about that when we're having these conversations when we're tabling at schools when we're doing all these different things how do y'all think that that is going to impact us as especially when you realize that um due to the private privatization of a lot of different services folks are not readily available mental health counselors are not readily available in the school spaces so they're not even an opportunity um to meet a lot of the young people where they're at and then thinking about the legislation that's being passed that is allegedly to address the quote unquote wrong to our kids and employees how are y'all um thinking about navigating that process or have you started thinking about that processing that it's it's a whole lot to think about it's a whole lot to think about for professionals that are in it um i can just imagine how hard it is for parents to try to navigate and make sense of everything that's been happening so what are the what are some thoughts that come into your into your mind about addressing um and combating these very oppressive um legislations I think the, the first thing I think of, I mean, quite frankly, is like fear. Um, and then um, and then I just think of that in the last year, I think the biggest adjective to explain everything is like confusion when it comes to how do we navigate all of these systems. Um, and so I think the important thing is like having the facts and being educated on like what exactly we can and can't do. Um, I think is like the foundation in moving forward. Um, beyond that, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Amber can speak to that. And it is, it's a heavy question. I'm not, it's, I'm not saying it's a lot to process and it's a lot to, yeah, fear, confusion are definitely two words that are, I think folks are not saying enough. So thank you for naming that Mary Beth. It's, if you if something is do folks have time and even adding on to that question is do folks even have time to navigate the confusion uh because it's so much go ahead amber yeah i would say just going back to as we're like moving through this it's so important to be um connected to organizations who are deciphering the information really quickly um which which allows us right like not to get into a space of like over compliance um, that is often like driven by fear. And I think a lot of what we have been seeing is this idea of like, the language is intentionally, right? Confusing, it is intentional about like, you know, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do or what I can be doing, right? And so as people who are working in the community, when we're encountering folks, clarifying, this is where we are right now, right? This is what we're allowed to do. And this is how we can move in this moment and um moving through like these moments as we have the space until we're not able to move anymore and you had mentioned the disconnect in relation to folks not knowing what's been happening um i first thing that popped up in my mind really was the disconnect between 
organizations um because miami Dade is so vast it's a very very big place have y'all seen i guess what yeah what what have y'all seen as far as collaborative efforts between organizations in miami-dade county to address these different legislations or have you even seen um collab more collaboration between organizations i can go <laughs> um yeah i think there there's definitely a big window of opportunity for us to collaborate more with different organizations i feel like when we talk about intersectionality, there are so many different organizations working on like individual in, in specific realms. And if we were to combine all of our knowledges of these realms and like um, kind of a power map similar to what Amber was naming, like figuring out what our rights are, right? What moves are we able to make? Who we should be challenging, and um, then like individual organizations doing this work and then from those individual organizations then seeing where the interconnecting threads are so that we are um kind of addressing these issues um with more people and 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 like more community members that are interested in engaging with the process and like trying to shift what's happening then it, it would be a lot harder to stop us if we're able to do that right because we're addressing a number of different issues bringing a number of different people's awareness to a specific point and it it then becomes like the point of weakness once we all have addressed um that like that is the common denominator or like that's the common target that we all have right so it sounds like the word of the day is clarity we need to be clear people need to be clear um across the board because even as you know we were having this conversation getting updates on where the legislation is at we're currently in limbo with uh, the Florida Board of Medicine and the Florida Board of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, we're not the only state that has taken this position. We're starting to see more states um, banning gender affirming care. And just to emphasize, um, especially to, to our clinical team, what does gender affirming care do for a young person? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, gender-affirming care literally saves lives. Um, we have statistics that back that, um, like the rate of uh, not only uh, suicide attempts, but suicide completions um, decrease when um, our youth receive gender-affirming care. Um, and um, it's also important to demystify gender affirming care mm. and explain that it's a really large umbrella and there are a lot of things that um, can be referred to as gender affirming care. Uh, most folks, especially on the right, um, would just say that it's surgery, unnecessary surgery or whatever, um, but gender affirming care starts as soon as the youth, as soon as you contact the youth. Um, in the form of calling them by their name, um, you know, and using their pronouns. Thank you for that, Mary Beth. And just to add on to what you just said, because there are also efforts to uh, penalize companies that pay for gender affirming care. 
um, in the sense that if a detransition were to happen, the company would have to flip the bill for that. And I don't know what y'all, but I'm kind of seeing that as a scare tactic. Um, and just to add on some stats to what was just said, 94% of trans people reported an improvement in their quality of life due to transitioning. 96% answered that their sense of well-being improved. And this was on the 2011 study of 448 individuals performed by gender advisory training and education. So trans folks are a smaller population of our, our um, was that? that's a smaller population. And so these numbers can be seen as significant if we're thinking about statistically. Um, transitioning will make a person bitter and depressed. That's a myth, been debunked. Another myth, transgender people don't really want to change their body. They just get pressured into it. So the transition satisfaction rates, 96% overall, 97% satisfaction with hormone ther therapy, 96% satisfied with chest surgery, 90% satisfied with genital surgery. More often than not, folks are going to be pleased and satisfied and live healthier lives if they get the gender affirming care that they so desperately need. And just to start closing us out, a question that I would love to ask audience is, if you're thinking about your gender right now, you are comfortable in your gender, imagine if you were born in the wrong body and you tried so hard to seek help and seek counseling and you were told no, because it is not a mistake. How would that make you feel? We are all fluid. There are 9 billion people on this rock and there are a whole lot of different genders. So 9 billion, just to emphasize, 9 billion. Uh, so if, does anybody have any comments that they'd want to conclude us with to send us off? I think one thing. Oh, no, God. We, we to... <laughs> I think one thing to keep in mind with all of the fear mongering and the, the um, capitalization of confusion and mm. within communities who need clarity and understanding to support their children i think one thing to always keep in mind is that we're also doing this fight by contributing to the happiness of our youth we make sure that we um cater to queer joy events um encouraging them to grow and change as they see fit um one individual at a time um no matter where they may go in their life we will be always there to support them and i think that's one of the best ways to fight this all of the anti-lgbt legislation all of the things that want to keep us in a box we encourage the youth to step outside of the box and continue to grow always thank so that's something to always keep in mind as we continue uh, the only statement I wanted to say is for folks like who are doing the work, essentially, even if you're, well, let me say this, because I say this to everybody. Everybody is working with and everybody is serving LGBTQ youth if you work with youth. Mm. Um, you identify that, whether you have that in your intake form or not, you are doing this work. 
And you're also doing a disservice in this work when you don't capture that information because you create an invisible population. And when people are invisible, they do not receive support. They do not receive access. Uh, they don't receive funding and all of those things. So I encourage folks to think about how they're capturing information about their folks, the folks they're working with and caring for. So that's all for me. Mike drop from Amber. Okay, okay. Sad, very bad. I was literally about to say mic drop. <laughs> hey, that, that, that could be a period right there. Uh, that is facts, facts on facts. You are working with queer youth. Chances are you're just not capturing it. So all those nonprofit organizations out there, all those system involved youth that nonprofits work with, all all the young people that you work with, if you're not captured, if you don't have that information as Amber stated on your application, you are not capturing the full picture and imagine what that could be doing to the young person that you're working with so with that being said thank y'all so so much we're excited for this book launch check us out on our website at all4lgbtqyouth.org and for the release of our book the courage to be truly free coco's blueprint for self-revival uh this is going to be an effort to combat ron DeSantis's book uh which i will not name here so check out coco she, uh, they're going to be released tomorrow uh or if you're listening to it today february 28th thank y'all